Ah, hello again. This is uh, your host, Paul Perdue, and this is the show called Talking Antiques. And my executive producer here is Leslie Godbold, and uh, she is very happy with me today, even though she finds it very hard to understand me because I'm Irish and she's Southern. And, but she seems to be doing a lot better understanding where I'm coming from. Sometimes I find it difficult uh, getting, getting the Southern accent down. What do you say about that, Leslie? Paul, I don't have an accent. Oh, you don't? Have, okay. No. Well, maybe from, from an Irishman's point of view, you do. Ah, maybe. I was just joking. I, I've been told I have an accent. Well, it, it's, a, it's a very good accent. And I have to be nice to Leslie because, you see, if I'm not, I will not get out on the show and she will make sure that I won't be, mm. you won't hear me. And, of course, I, the, the Irishman wants to be out there and everybody listening. And while I'm on that, I'd like to thank my sponsors, uh, Village Antiques of Biltmore. David and Terry have been very good to sponsor the, uh, the show. And I want all you listeners out there that if you're in Biltmore Village, please go into Village Antiques and tell them that you you heard about them on the, the Irishman show called Talking Antiques. Tell them Paul sent you. And you know they they will they will treat you if you're just buying one item, or furnishing a whole house, or if you're, at, you know if you're developing or if you're doing up houses, whatever you're doing, they'll do estate planning and all of that stuff. And so please go to Village Antiques and seven fifty five Biltmore Avenue. And again, thank you, Dave and Terry. Now today's show is. It's, um, it's still about collecting, and last week we just did a little bit about, you know, collecting in general and the fun of collecting. So today I thought we'd talk about something that women collect a lot, and some men do, but particularly the masculine ones, and they're called fobs. And a lot of people say to me, what is a fob? And fobs, you have to watch fobs and all that, but my wife wears, I got her, oh, when we were first going out, I got her a tea bar. And apparently, not an awful lot of women over in America wear tea bars, and they're always asking her, what is that? What is that? And she's has this, able to say, oh, this is a tea bar, and, you know, and, and, and it's great in Ireland, and so forth. So I'll talk a little bit about fobs today in the first half of the show. And, and you know, a fob is a small object that is decorative, and, and it's a decoration on a, on a watch chain or a key ring to assist in handling the object it is attached to. And can it be attached by a chain or, or, or a ribbon, normally a gold chain? Uh, you can get them in silver and gold, but I, I personally like the gold. And you, you can attach it to a, a pocket watch and it can be worn hanging either from a vest or a waist. A, a waistcoat pocket. Most watch chains include a swivel on the, on, on the part that attaches to the watch in order to take the pressure off the chain. You know, you, when you take out your watch and you're looking at it, it's, it, it's movable so you don't break the chain. And it, as I said, they both come in gold and silver. Fobs are, about, are among the smallest hallmarked antiques commonly available to collectors. So you can sort of start collecting them if you, you know, at a reasonably priced one would be in silver. Uh, 
and uh, each one is unique and it's very rare to find two exactly alike. Fobs were originally used to adorn uh, a belt and um, a chatelaine. Now the chatelaine is sort of a French term for lady, lady in the castle or lady of the castle. And it was sort of like a belt with keys, with the keys of the castle on it, where they were suspended. And a typical lady's uh, it would have on on this item would be a watch, a fob, a seal, maybe a small pocket knife, a scissors, keys, sewing instruments, implements, sorry, a mirror, and a writing instrument, and a watch. So that that would be what would would be on that. Now the watch fob or pocket watch. And its attached chain were developed in Europe in the 16th century and were most popular in America from about the mid 18th century until World War I, when the wristwatch was sort of more or less invented and the pocket watch began to go out. By the beginning of the 19th century, the fashion for elaborate and masculine jewelry had passed, and all that remained of the fob watch fob was usually a simple t- chain and T-bar. And I can remember my grandfather and, and uh, both on my mother and my father's side wearing a pocket watch with a T-bar hanging out of the buttonhole of it or out of the waist pocket. So I remember that. I'm not that terribly old. I am old, but not that old. So you have watch fobs and key fobs. And key, key fobs typically, typically have an oblong opening at the top suitable for threading a leather strap or ribbon through. Fobs are also a very important part of advertising history and key fobs were very popular in the Midwest with farm equipment and salesmen, uh, with equipment salesmen. And they now are very collectible. So the type of fobs that you want to be looking out for if you want to start collecting, uh, would be a flat or seal fob with the intaglio seal, which is sort of like would have the family crest or, or your initials on it, and it would be for sealing letters, and you could put it down for sealing letters. Then you'd have a spinner fob, and the usual ones would have a two-sided, but sometimes you would get a three-sided one, and they're set with opaque opaque gemstones, some like agate, bloodstone, onyx, and and uh, sorry, bloodstone and onyx. Now, then you come to a T-bar. The T-bar, a small gold bar, used to slip into a buttonhole so that the chain and fob could hang down from it. And then there was the fob metals, which are not all that common but you can find them used to commemorate a sporting event of some other sort of competition. Fobs were commonly awarded as a prize. And then you would have the morning fob, which was usually uh, fronted with removable piece of glass where you would put a photograph or a lock of hair to be inserted and that was very popular in the 1800s you know particularly in the victorian times up until near the 1900s where you'd have loved ones would be 
you know, where the pathway you want to keep the memento of them. So that's what you should do. That's a little bit on the fobs. And all that information, I will put a link to the Facebook page, Talking Antiques. And, um, you know, and I will put some pictures of the, of the fobs that I showed to Leslie here so that you would have some idea of what I was talking about, trying to understand this Irishman as, as he's fumbling his way through trying to explain all that to him. So, on the second part of the show, we will have, um, you know, uh, Do You Remember? And uh, I look forward to talking about that. And please remember that you are listening to Talking Antiques by Paul Perdue on 1350 WZGM, Independent National Radio, and uh, Leslie Go, Leslie Godbold, sorry, I keep messing that up, is the executive producer, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you at the other side of the break. back again and you know uh, Leslie I was looking for the the Irish music there what happened to it I, I thought you were going to hit me with that Irish jig like you did the last time I had to keep you surprised <laughs> you, you never know did. you definitely did and uh, so welcome back again to uh, Talking Antiques by Paul Perdue and my executive producer is Leslie Godbowl and we're coming to you from 1350 WZGM Asheville Independent uh, sorry, Independent National Radio, I keep getting that wrong. And we're on the TuneIn app radio, and we will be podcasting this show, which will eventually end up on my Facebook page, in case you don't hear the show, either live stream or from the radio. So just to go over the last part of the show, we were talking about fobs, and I did a fumbling fob, so I was fumbling and fobbing around there. So I do hope that you uh, uh, get an idea when you have a look at the pictures on on the on my Facebook page what what the uh, fobs are about, and that maybe it might be something for all you ladies to start collecting. And they are very collectible, and the gold ones are expensive, but the silver ones are quite can be quite reasonable. So. We're going to do our sort of, uh, do you remember? I don't know if Leslie remembers them, but do you remember your parents or your grandparents ever using uh, guardianware? Did you ever hear of guardianware? I haven't. It's, apparently it's, it's supposed to be very big and said it was very big in America. I, I never knew anything about guardianware till I came over here. Um, my wife was uh, started uh, 
getting it and and to be honest with you i've become a much better cook since uh using guardian wear because what it does is because it's so thick and heavy in in aluminum it evenly spreads the heat around the bottom and uh it uh, you know you don't burn anything because it it you know keeps the heat at a much more level level playing field so a little bit about guardian wear for all you people out there it was originally called guardian service cookware known as guardian wear was manufactured from the mid 30s to about the mid 50s the cookware was sold in a very traditional manner just like today's avon and tub tubberware the individual would host a party in his or her house and the salesman would travel to the location and cook a meal for the group using the variety of the pieces guardian wear was extremely expensive and the cost of a full set was over about three hundred dollars at that time which is about the equivalent of about 35 or 25 to 30 three thousand dollars today however it is still some of the best cookware to be found at any price and that i have to agree with because prior to that my modern pots and pans i would burn the hell out of stuff but now you know my wife would say <laughs> my wife would say that i'm maybe i should start cooking so guardian service cookware uh, aka Guardianware was a highly sought-after collectible. It still is a highly sought-after collectible. Back in the 50s and then later in the 70s, there was an aluminum scare of what we call in Ireland aluminium that led to many people throwing out the Guardianware for health reasons. But those rumours have since been widely discredited by scientists and there is even a lengthy article about it in the Scientific America so no one should fear using this cookware and the hardest part of owning guardianware is being able to find the pieces you want the lids are are the most valuable or are even more valuable than the pots because they're made of glass and many have not survived over the years even when you can find the glass lids they are usually chipped but this not this not does not affect their use. During pre World War Two years, the cookware had metal lids, but because of the rationing during the war, the lids were then made of ovenproof glass. The cookware is constructed of hammered aluminum, and is considered to be heavy duty in contrast to today's modern cookware. Well, that I can well believe, and as I said. I've become a better, a better cook for it. One of the most popular sets of guardianware was an unusual set of triangle-shaped pots known as the Economy Trio, which we have, that would cook food in three pots using only one burner. Guardian cookware can be identified by the trademark knight, knight's helmet looking left logo, Stamped, stamped on the bottom of the cookware, there were three different designs of the logo. One had a knight's helmet with cross swords. The next was uh, the helmet with two stars on each side. And the last version was the helmet with three stars on each side. 
the glass lids were also etched with the knight's helmet, but they also had cross battle axes. Guardian wear came with many different accessories that included a cookbook, special metal and baker-like clamping handle that fitted at, at, fitted the odd hook-like sides of the pan or and pots, and a set of bakelite handles commonly referred to as ears that slipped over the pot handles so the pots could be easily removed. The most collectible guardian wear items are the hostess gift, which range from drinking glasses to ice buckets to ashtrays, which, well, people are not smoking that much nowadays, to salt and pepper shakers. One of the most valuable guardian wear items is the ball pitcher or jug. And you can expect to pay around three or $400 for one today. And the most desirable pieces of guardian wear are the large turkey roaster and the 10-inch breakfast fryer. So to all you people out there that remember all your guardian wear, head out to the garage, head up to the loft, head down to the basement, and see if you can find it and start rooting around for it. Go over to your grandparents or to your in-laws and uh, start building up your collection of guardian wear. You can still find it at auction, flea markets, and... um, you know, antique fairs and stuff like that. And, and prices are range. You can get some quite reasonable and you can get and some are quite expensive. And there again, as I say, the glass and the glass lids are probably the hardest to get. And sometimes you will pay more for the lid than you will for the pot. And, you know, this is what we, this is what I hope that you should uh, find and have a bit of fun. So to all you people out there, do you remember? I remember, but I only remember it from 1998 because i never seen it before. We don't have it in Ireland. So go and ask your parents, ask your grandparents, and if you have some great-grandparents, aunts and uncles, tell them you want to start your guardian work collection. So I would like to just sort of say uh, that you are listening to us on 1350 WZGM, Independent National Radio. My name is Paul Purdue, and my host, uh, my executive producer is Leslie Godbold. And you can hear us on TuneIn live stream, and the show will also be broadcasted and podcasted. And I hope very soon to hear, I hope very soon to be on the air again, and look forward to talking to you next week.